Hey guys, welcome to Emotion for Mental Health. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. I was literally listening to the song. Can we do that again? It's a really good song. It's a really good song. I was song. like, oh, oh, she's moving it away. <laughs> <laughs> you could just go with it. Uh, okay, we're going with it. Hey guys, welcome to Mensana Emotion for Mental Health. This is Laura, very distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Caitlin, and this is a podcast dedicated to reducing mental health stigma in the legal industry through weekly conversations. Well, that was a start. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the energy is super high in this room right now because we are so excited about this episode. Um, holidays, holidays, holidays. Okay, Laura really <laughs> wants to name it holidays. I just really want to say holidays over and over. Yeah. Because it's fun. Yeah, it's so fun. It's our holidays episode. <laughs> um, so this this episode is going to be dedicated to talking about LGBTQ plus issues in the legal industry and the way that negative stigma and other issues can affect mental health um, within that context. Yeah, so we are doing this as part of a diversity series that we're doing here on the podcast. This is just going to be one episode in a series of episodes dedicated to different diverse subsets of the population. Um, so we're going to try to cover a wide gamut here. Obviously, we're not going to be able to cover every you know, population of diverse individuals, but we're going to start here because, I mean, easy pickings over here. And we have a fabulous person on our show today to interview. Yeah, and and just really quickly, so we say diversity series and we are starting it with this episode, but it's not necessarily going to be like a consecutive series of episodes. We're starting with this. We'll probably be peppering in these episodes as we go on and as we can schedule appropriate guests for the series while we are still talking about other topics in between. That brings me to our very special guest. I'm very excited to tell you guys that we have my dear friend from law school, Matt, with us today. So Matt, take it away and tell our self-care partners who you are. Hi, yes. Um, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm a uh, just graduated 2018 from William Mary Law School, and it's where I met Laura and Caitlin. Mm. And I'm really proud to see what you guys have done. I just wanted to say I'm a number one self-care stan. <laughs> Not just a partner, but a self-care stan. That's, that's even better. Of the pod. Yes. Um, you guys are, are we're in this wonderful studio here, and I remember Caitlin talking about this just a few months ago, starting this, and to see you guys produce already it six episodes now this yeah this will this will be the seventh yeah seventh so that's um awesome to see and i think you guys have really got us off to a good start with these conversations and i'm really glad that you guys were so accepting obviously it didn't take much to convince laura to talk about <laughs> the gays the gays are uh, near and dear to my heart <laughs> but i'm glad to talk about this because um, it is something that's important to me and that obviously i have personal experience with but as laura mentioned even within just talking about LGBT issues, mm -hmm. she and I uh, can only talk about our own personal experiences because the LGBT community is so diverse and includes a lot of other aspects. Uh, for example, transgender uh, lawyers, that alone it can people. have its own episode, non-binary people, yeah. uh, all the all different sorts of uh, queer individuals that we might not actually get to, but I think this is a great place to start the conversation. So thank you guys for, for having me. 
on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Um, just really quickly, so you guys all know, Laura and I are sharing a microphone. <laughs> we only have We're two. We're very close. So, yeah. Very, so very close. <laughs> very close. For the um, holidays episode, it's perfect. It is, it is, it is. Um, but just in case, you know, we're like talking on top of each other <laughs> or one of us sounds far away, that is why. Um, so before we get started into all of this, I really quickly want to mention I am a straight white female, so I'm probably going to see my way out of this conversation <laughs> for the most part because it's not my platform. It's not my place to speak. I'll be doing a lot of asking questions and trying to help people like me understand how we can be better allies, but, but I really want Laura and Matt to direct this conversation. So um, today we're going to talk about the way that queer people are affected both in the workplace um, and not in the workplace by different experience they have by virtue of being queer or rather just non-heterosexual and how that affects their mental health. So this is going to be episode one of a two-part series here for our LGBTQ plus specific episode. Um, In this first episode, we're going to talk more about our experiences as gay people in the workplace, um, different things we've encountered in our jobs, sort of (laughs) a few negative experiences, as you maybe can expect, some statistics. Um, And then in our second episode, we're going to talk about the ways that we can better support these people um, because they are for sure in your populations, even if you don't know it. And both the way that you as a colleague or a friend or a family member can support them as well as um, how your workplace can better support them. Um, So Matt, if you truly are a stan, you know that step one is always starting with updates on our personal journeys. So I'll just go first really quickly. Um, Kind of like a weird thing that is going on with me lately is... Well, one, my ADHD meds are working great. Um, That's a positive. My eyes are not doing great. If you guys follow us on Instagram, you may have seen that my second round of LASIK did not go super well, which kind of sucks. But um, my next step is to get a second opinion. I've got that scheduled, but it has not happened yet. So I'll let you guys know what happens with that once it does. Um, But what I really wanted to talk about really quickly is kind of not really on theme for what this episode is about today, but is a very current issue that is occurring. So today is Monday, December 9th. Yesterday, um, Sunday, December 8th, we all heard that the rapper Juice World passed away. It like really hit me hard. Um, I was not a super big fan of him. I've listened to a lot of his songs, but like not, I wouldn't say I'm like a stan mm. of Juice World, <laughs> um, but it really affected me. And I started thinking about like Mac Miller and and this like unfortunately pervasive subculture within the hip hop industry that is like taking the lives of so many people. And especially with Juice World, he just turned 21. Mm. He was close friends with Lil Peep, I believe, um, and XXX temptation however you I say know. that I who have so they're they're part of this genre called emo rap it's very emotional rap and it's great music i think that their music resonates a lot with the generation below us generation z i think it is mm-hmm. um and it just like really hit me hard that he died yesterday very unexpectedly at the very young age of 21 and 
why I wanted to bring it up is because he has been sort of a champion for mental health in his industry. I mean, in a lot of his songs, he sings about, you know, people in my place don't usually make it out of this industry alive and which is really ironic mm. because he passed away. So that really hit me hard. I spent a lot of the day yesterday listening to all of his music and just mm -hmm. kind of being sad and then I listened to Mac Miller's uh, or, um, album from 2018, which had a lot to do with mental health, which he also ironically released like right before he passed away unexpectedly. So it was just kind of a really unfortunate reminder that mental health affects everyone. It affects every single industry. Even when we start to make progress, things can change in an instant. And it's so important to continue managing our mental health at all times. Like, um, Juice World had recently tweeted, he said, on October 17th of this year, I'll never forget about the demons I conquered. I know I got a ways to go, but I still made it further than most. And like, so he was trying, you know, he was like recognizing that things were not good for him and he was mm -hmm. working to make it better. And like, I don't know how he died. I don't think the cause of death has been confirmed yet, but like, it was just a really, really sad, hard reminder that like, life can be gone in an instant yeah. mm -hmm. so that was it, it just like I said it kind of took over my day yesterday I was really affected by it in a way that I didn't really expect to be but so yeah that's that's pretty much what I have going on it's not like super personal but I did want to just make that mention at the outset of the episode and just like let you guys know that it that it really did affect my mental health yesterday it made me very sad yeah super sad especially for somebody that's so young that sounds crazy to me 20 you just turned 21 like yeah. like five days ago he turned 21 that's five days before he died yeah that's that's awful it's yeah. also like it brings up to and i know that i feel like artists have gotten so much better about talking about mental health and i think that's so important because i feel like when they put that on their platform like mm -hmm. it, it gives such a, a voice and idea to millions of people who like otherwise wouldn't know so i always think it's super brave and artists talk about that especially so i don't know i mean it sounds like he touched people through talking yeah. about that for sure before he passed yeah i saw a lot of like videos and tweets and stuff on reddit yesterday about how everyone was just really overcome by this because he had been such a champion and he was like just a really young, joyful, happy, seemed like, you know, mm -hmm. at the on the outside, happy person that was doing everything right. And it was just really unfortunate that this happened. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, so that's, that's my update and just sort of like a general mental health update. Um, but, but yeah, what about you, Laura? Um, so I'm just continuing from last week to um, put more structured self-care time in kind of lost that over the weekend I just like ate and drank like a trash panda so I'm gonna correct <laughs> yeah that. I was there can confirm <laughs> I did the same thing she witnessed <laughs> the debauchery it's fine um we're gonna get back on track this week yeah. um I have so I went to the OBGYN and they want to do an ultrasound for my potential endometriosis whatever the heck's happening with me so um that was scary <laughs> and um I mean I'm glad that they're doing further things to try to figure out what's happening but especially in light of that like I'm gonna really focus on like taking care of my body this week and just being like kind to it and extra nourishing because it's like having a moment right now so um 
I don't know. I, I sort of had a weird mental health moment like after that appointment. I pretty much was like fine, but I just wanted to like keep busy and I just kept on doing things. And um, my friend who had endometriosis, who has endometriosis um, called because she knew I had the appointment and I was like not, pl- I don't know. I didn't feel like I was in an emotional place. I was just kind of like vaguely stressed out that this was happening. But I was like, it's okay. Like I'm, you know, doing things for my health and I scheduled my appointment. So that's all that I can do right now. And she called and we were just sort of talking about it. And she wasn't even, you know, we weren't, she wasn't being like gushing about it or like we weren't talking about anything emotional. And I just felt my like face start to like tremble. And I was like, oh no. (laughs) It was almost like, you know how like you're, you'll be doing fine and like doing productive things, like moving through the world. And then all of a sudden a friend comes up and it's like, oh, do you want a hug? And then Mm -hmm. man, as soon as I have like (laughs) human contact or somebody touches me, I'm like, damn it, I lose it. Like there go the tears. I think especially when they can like identify with you and obviously she's been through this experience. So yeah. Yeah. Someone that like knows kind of what you're dealing with comes up to you and just kind of like mm-hmm. all comes to the forefront. Yeah. Where yeah. No, I was an immediate. It's like happy, but also yeah. a reminder of all the stress. And yeah. Exactly. I didn't think I needed like that release either. I thought I was like, okay, that's stressful, but like I'm just moving on. And then I just like, like lost it. And I was like, okay, we're just going to cry for a half hour now. And she was like, I was like, I'm sorry. And she was like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, I didn't expect this. <laughs> like we were just talking about like vague, like very high level, like medical terminology stuff. And I was like, uh, so, um, but I don't know, I guess it was like a reminder for me that like, sometimes like, even if you don't feel like that release is necessary, listen to your body, just go with it. Yeah, your you body know, will tell you. yeah, it'll tell you. Um, and then therapy hunt wise, a friend had told me about, um, well, I thought it was a federal program and it's not federally mandated because I went down a rabbit hole researching this, um, <laughs> uh, about an, em- it's called an EAP employee assistance program. Yeah. I didn't know that these things existed and she was like, Oh, why don't you like go through your EAP to find a therapist? And I was like, okay. And then in going through my rabbit hole of research, I realized that um, employers are not required to have EAPs. So I was like calling these numbers and all this stuff. And I was like, wait, this is like employer specific. I don't have one. However, a lot of you probably do, because in my research, I found out Mm -hmm. that 77% of employers do offer an EAP. So in case you are um, having some difficulty searching for a therapist or frankly, if the thought feels like overwhelming and you don't really want to deal with it and you feel like you don't have time to go on a therapist hunt, apparently what you do is like you call these people and I've heard they're like very nice on the phone, et cetera. And you pretty much tell them like, I want a a female therapist within 20 miles of me specializing in like cognitive behavioral therapy. And she does this. So, yeah. So, um, you guys should check through your HR to see if you do have that yeah. Yeah. because that sounded extremely appealing to me, especially being at this like kind of frustrated stage of my hunt and not really wanting to like page through my like inadequate health insurance website anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just a, just a heads up for that one. But yeah, that's pretty much my, my journey for the week. How about you, Matt? Oh yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I have to fill everyone in on kind of on the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So for me, um, my mental health journey, I think it really only came to the forefront after law school, actually. Uh, a lot of people, obviously, law school is stressful generally, and there are uh, their own mental health challenges there, and I'm looking forward to your collaboration coming up. 
with the law school organization. I can't remember the yeah, name. Yeah, Law School After Dark. The, the podcast, that's yes. right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, looking forward to that. But I, I think it was really moving uh, out of the law school environment. So I went straight through from undergrad to law school. So I think I was just used to an academic setting where being – I'm a very extroverted person, as you guys have talked about how you guys are as well. Um, so for me, I kind of feed off of other people. And when I – feel like I'm losing friendships or I'm not maintaining friendships that's what gives me anxiety yeah or when you're like in a new environment where you don't have the same close relationships that you've spent like three years with in law school suddenly people have moved to different cities and that's not there anymore can totally relate to that I think I experienced the same thing yeah because in an academic setting yeah you are I mean it makes it easier so to speak I mean it's not easy but it's easier definitely to have especially in Williamsburg especially in a (laughs) small little podunk town like Williamsburg there's lots to do in Williamsburg (laughs) y'all well I went back for Grand Illumination there is more there now that's exciting you should should definitely there's a beer hall and everything you know big deal a beer hall (laughs) well but uh yeah so i think leaving that academic environment where there's organizations and clubs and social events that are already planned by the school and stuff like that and everyone's in the same city and it's just easier to to maintain those relationships than going into a brand new city um where yes you uh, richmond fortunately a lot of our uh, alum uh, alums of our school are based here um but still uh, everyone has jobs now that you very rarely work with people that you went to school with. Um, just trying to maintain that relate those relationships, but then also start to create your own new relationships in the city. Because being in the legal profession, especially those friendships, those um, professional connections that lead into friendships, those can be very important mm-hmm. uh, professionally, if not just socially. Um, so I think coming into Rich, moving to Richmond, that was a, a big anxiety-inducing. Uh, set of circumstances that really brought my mental health to the forefront where I started feeling uh, anxiety about losing friendships from law school, trying to create new friendships, trying to create new connections, just starting your career out, just the pressures of that uh, alone. You, you know, what bar association should you go, should you join? Should you join any bar associations? Is that the best way? Or like, do I go to the clubs like how do i make <laughs> friends i don't know yeah it's, it's different making friends as an adult too. yeah it's like really weird that school structure it's yeah yeah it's like you unnerving you feel weird going up to someone at the bar and being like hey i think we'd be good friends <laughs> yeah who probably wouldn't like, want to talk uh, to you so people are no longer forced to see you every day yeah. and like be your friend yeah. so you have to like actually like, like put yourself out there yeah there's yeah. no convenience element anymore yeah. like yeah. so yeah. for me i think it came all came to a bear when I about last December, um, and that's when I finally reached out to get mental health help. Um, but I ran into some issues with, which I think Laura, you've talked about this, where every therapist is apparently is not taking new patients. I know it's bad, man. Um, and just be you know with work and stuff, I never she never got around to officially going to anything. And I think I've gotten to a, a place where. I don't know if I need that as much just because I've re- come to a realization with a lot of the issues that I was having, like about how being an adult is not the same as being a student and you can't be expected to have, you know, 50 re- uh, people that you're texting every day to try and, you know, hang out and or just keep connections with. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's just exa- that, that alone is exhausting and you can't let it exhaust you. You have to focus on your here and now. And obviously you do want to have those. It's important to have those relationships, but you have to try and. And focus on the ones that are that you're benefiting a lot from that are that are giving something back to you as a mutual yeah. exchange. Um, I think, and that's what I've started to do. And I think 
um that that doesn't mean that i'm like completely closed off to the idea of of seeing a therapist or mm-hmm. something like that and i think there's a lot of things to process and we'll talk about that with my sexuality as well as childhood things just a lot of things that i do want to that i need to i know i need to talk to someone about i just haven't gotten to that point and i actually i believe my employer has an eap program Ah. so i should (laughs) go to that yeah because i think right now just going through um my health insurer anthem they have a very like it's hard to find a provider i think so yeah i I also have anthem yeah and like their provider search it's just hard to find like exactly so the eap sounds much better where you're like i'm looking for something like right yeah. the old wise lesbian right. exactly and call me in three days when you find her thanks they <laughs> like that's exa- yeah. Yeah. i would love an old wise yeah old wise lesbian they know well. all yeah. yeah that's why they're so hard to find yeah because everybody so. has figured that out yeah so well the fact that you um i don't know that you like acknowledged and considered like searching and then you searched and i mean that's where i am right now like i feel like that's half the battle is getting yourself to a place where you're like this could benefit me even Mm -hmm. if you know you're not you know hunting day and night for a therapist or you're like you know what i'm okay right now i can like put this search like lower on the priority list i still think it's important to sort of acknowledge like you know what at some point like yeah it would probably like be beneficial to my life but maybe not it's not as urgent of a thing right now so that's cool Yeah, and I think what you're talking about is something that we've talked about a little bit on the podcast, too. When you don't have, like, a pressing emergency, Mm -hmm. like, mental health catastrophe happening that's literally forcing you to get treatment, it's, I think, anyway, it's much more overwhelming to think about the fact of going and talking to someone about your entire life and all of the different things that have caused you anxiety or that have led to who you are today rather than going and talking about like one specific event like that's easy to do you can tell them about an event within an hour you can't tell someone your whole life story in an hour and like getting to the point where you trust someone enough even to start telling them those Mm -hmm. things is really hard so I think that we can totally relate like we we have experienced the same exact issues it's part of why I'm also not currently seeing a therapist I'm just in psychiatry right now because it's overwhelming for for me too it's hard it's hard yeah well are we ready to get into our substantive discussion here yeah 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 I wanted to talk a little bit about why um we're focusing here um at first i mean obviously easy pickings with me gay (laughs) but um but why that's like important i think is we wanted to focus on like probably just a few common themes that affect at least affect us and that affects probably many queer people queer identifying people especially when it comes to mental health statistically queer people are more likely at the start to sort of need more supportive communities and more um, sort of mental health, more robust mental health support. Um, they could be facing discrimination in education from their families. Um, I mean, sexual assault and violence. There's a whole range of things why um, a queer person from the forefront may be seeking more mental health help. So we wanted to focus in the, in the same way as part of our diversity series, in the same way that probably all of the groups um, of people that we're going to be talking about, maybe like from the start, are going to be more subject to certain like behaviors um, of others that affect them that would lead them to um, need more mental health support. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I something I would add is I think the conversations that we'll have about um, being expected to act a certain way or to conform to a certain gender stereotype or, or a sexuality stereotype 
that can apply to straight people too. And yeah. I think especially um, straight men who are feeling this pressure to be this this idea of toxic masculinity that that's floated around a lot. I think that that those pressures apply a lot to straight men who might not like sports or something like that. Obviously, it it might be more pronounced in that it is more pronounced usually in the uh, queer community. But I think people uh, heterosexual people can gain from these sorts of conversations too. Yeah, definitely. Like so, in addition to being like allies and learning to be more supportive of like your friends and people in your community. Yeah, all these themes affect everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody has something that isn't what's quote-unquote considered normal, and maybe people treat them differently because of that. So their mental health is presumably affected by this, or could be, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the, no- the National Alliance on Mental Illness has published some statistics about LGBT plus adults. They're um, more than twice as likely as heterosexual adults to experience a mental health condition. They're at higher risk. Um, and the general population for suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts. High school students who identify as such are almost five times as likely to attempt suicide compared to their heterosexual peers. For transgender adults, 48% of them report that they've considered suicide in the past 12 months compared to just 4% of the overall U.S. population, which, I mean, I figured those statistics would be bad, but I didn't realize they would be, like, (laughs) that kind of extreme. (laughs) Like, I knew they were going to be bad, but... Yeah, but I mean, that that's staggering. Like, that is a huge difference. Just that last statistic that you just mentioned, that 48% of all transgender adults versus 4% of the overall U.S. population have considered suicide in the past 12 months. Like, I just want to repeat that yeah, so that half. everyone, yeah. Half. 48% half. is literally almost half. Yeah, that's yeah. like. One in two. Yeah, it's, it's, that's too much. That's too much. So I hope that this conversation that we're about to have can just be like one tiny incremental small step toward reducing that percentage because that's that's like i said that's staggering yeah yeah so i know matt um i know you wanted to talk a little bit about um different ways that you um sort of like as a person who identifies as gay, how that affects your like mental health in the workplace, like mm-hmm. maybe stereotypes you feel pressure to conform to. I know you were talking about an author earlier about that. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, the biggest thing. That's what I, I, the biggest thing I did want to talk about was um, how it affects me mostly in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I think um, obviously a lot of the things you've highlighted are personal aspects of it people's of queer people's lives that do influence their ability to um their or their mental health regardless of where they work um but i wanted to try and um just focus on my experience with the legal profession Mm -hmm. uh, considering the podcast but the biggest thing i wanted to talk about was a book that i recently read called covering by kenji yoshino he's a professor at yale um, and the book really spoke to me because it's described something that I've experienced in my um, time going uh, in law school and interning at law firms and now in the workplace. And that is uh, obviously the pressure that um, people are expected to conform to a straight, white, Christian, kind of the majority world of how everyone else expects you to act is how you're expected to act if you want to advance. Um, People who don't act that way end up being pushed to the side, considered odd, considered weird, uh, and not given those same opportunities than the people who accept the norm 
And uh, this affects not just, I think, LGBT minorities, but also racial minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, they're expected to, quote unquote, act white, for example, things like that. Or like talk white. Yes, exactly. Um, that sort of uh, implicit uh, bias, prejudice uh, against people who don't act in a certain um, heterosexual, masculine or feminine, if you're a woman, way are not given those same opportunities. So the, the, so the pressure to conform is really quite large, even though maybe explicitly it's not there. For example, I uh, interned at a law firm for two summers where policy-wise it was very progressive, very inclusive in that respect, but then there were certain things uh, when you're at the law firm that made you feel pressured to act a certain way. So, for example, this seems kind of trivial, but there was a summer associate event where uh, the choice was either go golfing or go wine tasting. <laughs> it was the same event, and you had to choose between the two. Now, that might seem pretty straightforward to someone who conforms to the straight heterosexual male ideal and the straight heterosexual female ideal. The straight heter- heterosexual female goes wine tasting. The straight heterosexual, or I'm saying straight heterosexual. That's <laughs> those the hetero- straight heterosexuals. The straight, he- the straight man goes golfing the straight woman goes wine tasting uh but then for someone like me who um whether it's because of my sexuality or just who i am i don't i don't conform to that i want to go wine tasting um and that sort of there was not only that but the attorneys were talking about it as if all right the guys will go do this and the girls will go do this right and it's just like those sorts of messages that you're sending is because you don't want to do what the guys want to do then as a man at the law firm you're not going to be valued as much yeah and I wonder and I think it probably is the case that it was developed with those ideals in mind Mm -hmm. so even if the policies are you know gender neutral or progressive or whatever they're meant to be the people actually implementing those policies and developing these events maybe aren't so progressive and I am sure that whether it was an explicit conversation or an implicit conversation, there was the idea of like making sure that like men and women have an option. And so they, they had like the wine, the wine tasting event for the women, because they're probably not going to want to go golfing instead of thinking, well, why don't we come up with an activity that everyone wants to do? And, and Mm -hmm. maybe it is golfing. Maybe every, like one of our good friends is a female and she's a great golfer. Like she might've chosen to go golfing. Yeah. So I think it's like just, even though the policies might be progressive, the people that are implementing those policies and then the way that everyone is talking about mm-hmm. those events are not so progressive. And, yeah. and and that's what's really important because I think a lot of law firms, especially, they like sign onto the ABA initiative and say that we're gonna be progressive and they say we're gonna start caring about mental health or caring about these issues. But then like in practice, it's not actually happening. Yeah, and I think, um, so that was kind of a more formal um, form of uh, implicit discrimination. But then there's also these implicit conversational biases that come up where, for example, I would be in a conversation and someone would be like, oh, like you and your girlfriend should do this. And, uh, I, and I obviously I give a lot of benefit of the doubt to people. And it, it does take time for people to reword their their language and, and, and the words that they use. But. Those sorts of things in today's workplace, I think, just automatically assuming or gendering someone's partner, things like that, they can 
pressure it, it forces me now to have to come out to you right you have to come out like a thousand times every day yeah. that's what like bugs me the most like it kind of like it i'm jealous and it annoys me that like people don't have to like come out and like even think about that yeah that kind of that i'm just jealous it like bothers me and i'm like i feel like I don't. I don't want to have to come out a hundred yeah. times. Like I'm doing other things. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> like, uh, like I just want to work. And yeah. Like or not. sometimes, like honestly, most most days I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't affect me. Like I'll come out. Whatever it doesn't matter. But other days I'm like, I don't. I really don't feel like having to mentally process this right now or mm-hmm. like think about the other person's reaction if it's gonna be a reaction. You know, yeah. all those thoughts that like people who, yeah, aren't something that's not heterosexual don't really have to think about. Yeah. Yeah, I this is not a personal experience and I know I said I'm not going to talk a lot. And I feel like I've been talking a lot, but I did want I do want to just add on to that. I recently had a very close family member of mine who is younger reach out to me and say that this person was trying to figure out how to come out to their parents mm-hmm. that they are not necessarily 100% straight. I don't think this person has figured out like what they want to identify as and that's totally fine I actually said like you don't need to worry about that whatsoever but part of that conversation was also like if you aren't comfortable making it a big event of like coming out then you don't have then you don't have to do that because like straight people never have to do that and I didn't think about it as like the everyday conversation where it isn't always like a big event of coming out, but having to literally come out multiple times a day in the same workplace. Like I didn't even think about that. And, and this is again, why this conversation I think is so important because like me being in my shoes, I thought I was being like really progressive, having this great conversation, but like I literally did, that did not even cross my mind. And that like makes me sad because now I wonder how many times have I made someone come out to me when they weren't ready to or they didn't want to? And and I'm so glad you guys are bringing this up. And I think it's like such an important conversation that I think a lot of people probably haven't even thought about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, too, initially for me, coming out at work wasn't something that I was like wanting to ab- embrace initially. I'm not from here and I wasn't mm-hmm. really sure how like <laughs> Richmond old school town that? was going to handle things. Mm-hmm. So honest, I mean, I'm I'm sure you guys have seen me. I'm pretty um, I have the privilege of looking very, quote unquote, straight. So I often honestly, especially when I first started, I really leaned into my like privileged straight appearance and I just sort of let people assume what they wanted to assume. And I didn't outright like lie about my sexuality, but I for sure was not bringing it up. I let them carry on with saying, you know, oh, are you going to bring your boyfriend to the holiday party and that kind of thing? Um, I didn't correct anybody. So, but it made me, even though I didn't have kind of the exhaustion of coming out repeatedly, it made me feel bad and like not true to myself because even though I was, it was pure omission, it's still like a form of lying by omission. And I just didn't feel like I was like, quote unquote, acting in line with my truth or something. And I was like, I just need to it's fine or you know I don't have to be like I don't have to make a scene about correcting I can just I I started to work work it in in small ways and say my partner and she and her and Mm -hmm. sort of hope that people like picked up on it picked up on it it's how I started to do it but I mean so now I pretty much mostly identify as gay and I think before um for shoot for like a solid decade I 
maybe longer, I identified as bisexual. And I think that that's easier for people to stomach as well because the default is, oh, you know, she'll probably find a guy someday. Then she'll like err on the side of like the right side or something. She's going through her phase. Exactly. So like she's experimenting and she'll figure it out. So I leaned in even when I was sort of using bi and gay interchangeably at work, I was for sure bi. And Mm -hmm. I kind of with people I was comfortable with only I would talk about things with them and then I sort of gradually worked it into other conversations or with maybe more acquaintances at work or higher ups that I felt less comfortable with but I mean I still felt like shame for like not just sort of being out and proud and saying whatever I wanted and then on the converse it was coming out a million times then so it was sort of like you can't you can't quite win that being said, yeah. I'd rather like now sitting here today, I'd rather like come out more often and maybe have that be a little bit more taxing than not along with somebody looking forward yeah. to meeting my boyfriend. No, I mean, there are still people I th- at the firm that I'll be going to after I finish clerking that I don't, I think they still think I'm straight mm-hmm. and I haven't corrected them just right. because like you said, there's that initial burden of now I have to right now I have to come out to you, but then like, I don't really know how you're going to react or whether especially in, I'm a, at the time I was a summer associate and I was like, Oh, I want a job at the end of this. And I don't want any bias possible to come in the way here. In hindsight, I should have been like, well, if they're not comfortable with it, screw them. I don't want to work for them. Sure. But ideally, ideally yeah, easier said than done. Yeah. yeah but in the moment when you're like a law student who just is hoping to get a job after law school, uh, you don't want to bring up anything that could potentially right. hinder you. And then, but then you end up with this inertia that you're like, months down and you haven't months along the road here and you haven't necessarily corrected them yeah and i think that my strategy usually is like what you did where you bring up like oh my husband mm-hmm. you know, like just my, pepper in yeah, pepper like in pronouns doing this yeah yeah so um yeah and I, like even uh, applying for my clerkship like i made sure i didn't like mention it or anything like mm-hmm. my judge like knew ahead of time yeah he found out on his own from like talking to people at the law firm but um so that was, I mean, in hindsight, I'm glad that he did make the decision knowing that. But I, you just don't know. Like, I was willing to just be in the closet for another two years yeah. legal, professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily, I didn't have to do that. But I think that mental pressure of, like, I have to conform to get ahead. And that's what the, the book covering talks about is we have this pressure, whether you be have a pressure to be white or you have a quote-unquote white, or you have a pressure to be heterosexual or act heterosexual um that that pressure it can just be so exhausting and it, and, and the author calls it being your per- performative self so you have your authentic self and then you have your performative self who who you portray to other people how you act to try and conform to what society expects of you and that uh, day in and day out just keeping that up can be so exhausting yeah and i think that's what you're talking about Mary. it's like constantly checking yourself and it sort of sucks too i think because that culture of like you know, willing to be in the closet for a little bit longer professionally and sort of not talking about it, it sort of makes the community even more like fewer and farther between because if nobody's talking about it, then I don't know if there's any like LGBT plus like individuals like working with me Mm -hmm. then. So I, I don't know, it makes me at least feel extra isolated because I for sure knew nobody remotely gay. Um, And at my law firm, even in law school, I think in my class anyway, I knew like two gay men. 
yeah. presumably there were more people who did not identify as heterosexual but like i would have never known and i mean similarly i wasn't out and proud either like i was out but i was not yeah i was not trotting around like you know yeah, correcting people that. and yeah. to, you know so i just sort of laid low i was out and out, out enough for my comfortability but um yeah it just it stinks that it's just not more like commonplace and people talk about it more they feel comfortable talking about it more even if it is exhausting and taxing mm-hmm. yeah and i think um it's getting better obviously like i would say yeah like it has gone a lot better but um it's still uh, you go into these workplaces where no one really everyone the assumption is always oh you are straight or you should be and we're not going to try and change the way we talk about things to try and be more inclusive yeah and i think that goes to another point that we wanted to get to later but i know we talked about like you know the constant coming out or the keeping it to ourselves becomes you know exhausting or taxing but like as it directly relates to mental health i feel like that feeling of like isolation always really affected my mental health like Mm -hmm. it would be it would always be like kind of like a comorbidity factor like something else would already be making me like anxious or maybe I would be having a bad day at work and then sort of feeling like really isolated and like I couldn't not that I would need like a gay person to talk to about it but just sort of having like another community member or Mm -hmm. like somebody who I could relate to in that way the idea of it and the idea of like a diverse a diversity of people being in the workplace that I think would have been helpful and it for sure didn't help any like mental health symptom I had how was your experience yeah I think your point about isolation feeling isolated I think that is something that I really identify with because when you don't have other people who see you or 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 show right away that they're willing to accept who you are then you do either Mm self-isolate or you have to it becomes a chore to then push yourself to show them to, to to come out to them as we were talking about and because of that, you don't really know who you can talk to about personal struggles that you might right. be having, your relationship struggles. Your, because often, as we said, it, be, uh, making friends when you're an adult is hard. And often the easiest friends to make are the ones you work with. But if those people, because of how they're acting, you don't feel quite comfortable being fully authentic with them, yeah. then you don't have that outlet. You don't have those self-care partners at your workplace. Mm-hmm. You can only and get so close. Can, yeah, you can only get so close to them. Right. And there's always that division of like oh well i can talk about all this other stuff but i can't talk about my partner and the pressure to conform can affect anyone who doesn't fully conform to this you know toxic ideal of what a heterosexual masculine person should be or what a heterosexual feminine person should be yeah agree definitely and then i think you brought up some really good points about um the ways that different companies and firms will be um we'll have diversity committees and talk about inclusivity mm-hmm. do you want to talk about the difference between yeah those, so i those think two things? um there's been a big push lately uh, especially because clients want it and mm-hmm. there, there is a reason to have diversity whether it's racial socioeconomic sexual gender diversity um, because it brings new perspectives mm-hmm. it brings new lines of thinking ways of thinking and approaches to problems and that's what we are as lawyers we're problem solvers to having that diversity really benefits clients and because of that they've pushed i think law firms or uh, for in-house people corporations have pushed for their own internal hiring to be more diverse 
Yeah, and I just really quickly want to add because that is such an important point because not only is it good for the clients, but there are so many studies that show that in any business, in any industry, having a more diverse workforce is better for your bottom line. Absolutely. Your company is going to make more money if your workforce is more diverse because it's better for your clients. They're going to be more relatable. There are more diverse perspectives on any issue that arises. <clears throat> any issue that arises and it ultimately leads to more efficiency, more productivity, a better product, like I said, yeah. no matter what the industry is, but especially in the legal industry. So I think a lot of people talk about it as just like being better for employees and for clients, but like for businesses that care about money, like law firms mm -hmm. for sure do, I think it's really important for them to understand that it's better for your bottom line also. Absolutely. But I think it's only better for your bottom line if you're giving voice to those people. Yeah. And that's where we find the difference between um, diversity and inclusion. So I think law firms, uh, companies with their internal hiring, uh, they've, they've done a better job. Not They haven't done a great job, but they've done a better job of hiring um, diverse people to be part of the firm. Or I'm just using the law firm as an example because that's what I know. But they, so they've so, for example, I did my 1L Summer Diversity Program with the law firm that I'm going to, and it really was great. It's a great pipeline. It gets people into the law firm pipeline much easier, much faster, and it, it creates new opportunities. But then you get to the firm, and it's it, it's a different story whether you're actually – people want to listen to your different perspective. And I think law firms and the legal industry generally, no matter what employer uh, – that's where they struggle is, is providing a voice then to those people that they have hired and keeping them too. I think there's been a huge retention problem with diverse people because like, and I think this goes to what we were just talking about with the pressures to conform that beca can become so exhausting that people just leave because it's just too hard to try and change the culture of an entire law firm when it's just, you know, gay old you or, um, immigrant old you or whatever diverse characteristic you might have uh, it's hard to change that that whole culture unless the people from the top have the buy-in to want to do that and i think what's happened and i've heard anecdotes of this is is tokenism where i for example i had a friend who was a female associate uh, at a large law firm in town and she was put on a project because the client wanted more women representation but the the partner explicitly said in the email oh she's gonna like send the emails to the client but like all like we're all gonna do the work and we're just gonna send the emails through her and she'll just forward them on to the client so she wasn't really getting much credit as far as hours go she was just the face this is tokenism really yeah that's that's crappy yeah <laughs> and that's not inclusion that's and that, that's just well we're gonna hire you to be our poster child but not actually like ask for your perspective ask for your input ask for your substantive work yeah and we don't value enough in prior lives i was often the token woman um invited into like interview meetings so we mm -hmm. were interviewing to add another person to the team and i was always very confused about this <laughs> because i was like you know the super super junior associate i had not seen any resumes or anything i'm like why am I helping interview a senior partner? And I was so confused until like the third time <laughs> it happened. And it was only ever a woman candidate. And then eventually they were like, yeah, yeah you know, we don't want to scare her. We want to have a woman in the room. And I'm like, maybe just have more women 
like yeah. looped into this process and like part have of the committee yeah right have women on the committees actually hiring people or just more women at the at the place I worked etc you know mm-hmm. just in general so yeah so this is not the episode it, episode dedicated to talking about women but there will be one <laughs> I promise you that because this stuff gets my blood absolutely I mean yeah. all of it does Caitlin's face right now is not not cute in my jaw <laughs> is a gape at yeah. the story that Matt just told well, and, I, and these issues go across marginalized whatever yeah. uh, identity you want to throw out there whether it's gender um, race LGBT uh, queer like these whatever cross-section you want to label it um these issues affect affect us and they prevent the legal community from growing and becoming better and i think uh that's a huge problem right now is that the focus is just on let's increase the numbers so that we can report to nalp or vault or whatever that you know we have now three gay associates (laughs) but like what are they how long are you going to stay there there's also I, another anecdote was, um, and I keep bringing up women, but uh, this is just, I, I think it is a very prevalent thing, uh, is, is sexism in the legal profession. But uh, it was a partner at a law firm who's apparently went to lunch with some similar associates and they were talking about how the team didn't really have many female partners. And they were like, oh, well, like women often self-select out of the partner track because they have children. And it's just like those sorts of like ingrown yeah. biases and just blaming it on the marginalized group instead of looking at, oh, maybe our firm's policies aren't. Yeah, these issues often get blamed on the pipeline. A lot mm-hmm. of what you'll a lot of what I hear anyway is that like the pipeline just isn't there. We can't find these people. We can't find these minorities. They're just not there. But like they are there. You're just not looking for them. And I think that is such an important distinction to make as well, because like you can blame it on the pipeline all day long, but we've seen the numbers that show the increased number of racial minorities that are graduating from top law schools, the increased number of women, the increased number of queer people graduating from top law schools. So they are there. The pipeline is full of these people and they're capable and they're smart. And you, if you're not finding them, then, then that's something on you. Maybe you're just not supporting them adequately. Yeah. 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 And that goes to the retention of every, so many times uh, marginalized people queer people uh, to be relevant here they um they leave these firms so i know that in talking about like tokenism and inclusivity and diversity i know that that even like further affects my mental health because the feeling of just only being invited to the table by virtue of (laughs) like my literal appearance Mm -hmm. and the fact that i'm a woman or and this hasn't I haven't been ever taken as like the gay token because frankly people don't realize that I'm gay ever yeah. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> for us all but um I haven't ever been like the gay token or anything but I don't know like any sort of tokenism like that or feeling like I only have a seat at the, at the table by virtue of something that's like not based on me or my accomplishments mm-hmm. or anything like that is incredibly isolating and makes me feel like I'm not good enough and of course spikes my main mental health system or my main mental health symptom anxiety so it's it's just not it's like sort of insult added to injury like I'm already (laughs) I mean especially in law firm life I was already kind of 
anxious, anxiously darting about from place to place, especially as a new attorney yeah. and those kind of things for sure did not help me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a really good transition. Um, I think this has been a really, really good discussion about all of these negative experiences that you guys have experienced and I'm sure others have. Um, it's like really, uh, I guess, like unfortunate, like like from me sitting here listening to these experiences as a woman, I've experienced some of this, but mm -hmm. but it's a completely different animal. Um, so it's just kind of like. I don't know. I feel I want to like apologize on behalf of every straight person, but I know that's not like going to do anything for anyone. Um, but so I like really, first of all, thank you guys for like talking about this. I want to now transition a little bit into how this is affecting mental health. So you guys have mentioned a lot of different ways this has affected your mental health. Laura, you just mentioned anxiety. We've talked about isolation. Are there other ways that you guys feel like your mental health has been negatively affected or even positively affected by certain environments that you've been in, in the legal industry? And if so, what are they? Or like, what ways do you think this might be affecting everyone's mental health? Like I can imagine for yeah. myself how it would make me feel, but what are you guys experiencing as far as your mental health is with respect to these issues? Well, I think um, to so we don't have a fully negative uh, podcast because obviously there are p uh, positive things. That to, this is kind of the exception that proves the rule, I guess, is um, like experiences that I've had with the chambers that I'm clerking in. Um, initially, like I said, I wasn't sure whether my sexuality would be a hindrance um, because my judge is more conservative, but he was very accepting. And hit not only that, but we have a very close, we call it the ball club, but it's like a, a Chambers family of his past clerks, current clerks, and, for, and future clerks even, because um, these days judges hire like kindergartners. <laughs> um, but having that group of people just be so accepting of me and my husband and being able to show up to Chambers events, we have like two big events every year, uh, a summer party and a, and a holiday party. And just being able to show up with my husband in tow and just uh, talk to people and have them ask questions about our lives and, and it being so genuinely interested and, and being able to be so openly and unabashedly gay and myself, <laughs> um, I think that really improves my mental health. I go to these events and I leave them and I feel so much better to have an environment, a work environment where you do feel included. Uh, and where you do feel you have a voice and you can speak for yourself and be yourself, I think that can really help your mental health. So. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you mentioned that. I know I just talked about the ways it negatively affects me, but I'll talk about the positive side too. I think, like you said, um, you know, like without darkness, there's no light kind of thing. Like I think the, like the dearth kind of of gay people in the workplace and some of the isolation that I felt before um, now where I work, I was delighted to find like several gays in the workplace who were very out and proud. And, uh, my supervisor calls, uh, my friend and I there, his two gay daughters and we're oh. all this like happy dysfunctional family. Um, but it's super cute and it's, it's so, it's so nice. It's like so welcoming and I can talk about whatever, whenever with whoever, which sound again sounds trivial because like I'm not like running around work just like chatting about my gay experiences all the time but it's just nice 
to have that like level of openness yeah. with people. I mean, I'm on like um, st- a Stonewall team, which is our gay sports mm-hmm. league. It's actually a national gay sports league, um, recreational sports with several people from work. So um, both gay and straight alike. So like it's such a supportive, inclusive environment. My friends make fun of me because they always say like I wag my tail when I see a gay person because I'm like, oh, my gosh, like <laughs> so exciting. Like they know they just know. Um but I kind of do because it's really exciting to yeah. see people kind of like out and it doesn't matter compared to, uh, I don't know, just like generally in years past, I think for us all, we always say it's getting better, right? And I think it ha- it has even in like the brief time that I've been sort of like out mm-hmm. and proud. Um, but yeah, for me personally, that's been a major change and has for sure like increased my mental health positivity. and Yeah you know, um, lightens my anxiety. And I feel like I can talk to several people at work about different things happening. So that means it's time for happy pills and homework. Um, my happy pill this week, uh, is that I have, wait, what did I miss something? I'm saying, what's my happy pill? Oh, I know. I literally <laughs> just forgot it. Um, so my happy pill this week is that I have yet another wedding to go to. Ooh. It is apparently wedding season, but for the next like year and a half of my life, I already have like six weddings scheduled for next year. This is my second one in the last like two months that I've gone to, but I'm super excited because this is two of my friends that I've only been friends with for a couple of years. I met them through my partner, um, but I love them. They're like super fun. They live in Philly. Um, my partner and I have never been to Philly together, so we're looking forward to like exploring a little bit. I know we need some recommendations from you, Lara. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. So so that's, that's my happy pill. What's your happy pill, Matt? Yeah, I guess my happy pill was yesterday. I got to go to Grand Illumination in yes. Williamsburg. Yes. I know a lot of uh, law students didn't get didn't get to go to it because it was always in the middle of finals, so it was hard to pull people away. But uh, I was able to go back to Williamsburg, which I really love. I actually would love to retire there one day <laughs> um, and just see how it's changed. There's a lot of cool restaurants, like I said, a beer hall now. Um, I'm really glad they waited until we graduated and <laughs> yeah, left to put in all livers. this cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, it really was. <laughs> you didn't need any more distractions. Or yeah, yeah, and it was it's like a block away from the law school, so. <laughs> Uh, would have been a lunch break. Um, but yeah, so just going back and, you know, being in Williamsburg without the pressures of being a student, uh, just to enjoy it was really wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I guess mine is <laughs> having another low key weekend set up. Um, I was really excited, I think, over the last couple of weeks to kind of be anchored here in Richmond. And those are my happy pills. But my weekends have been a little um, out of hand recently. So <laughs> I'm excited for a weekend of kind of like self-care, uh, actually. So I'm going to try to be really strategic about doing that in ways that don't inflame my anxiety, which as the extreme extrovert that I am, and we all are, <laughs> I feel like I, I often get anxiety if I don't have like mm-hmm. super fun, concrete, extroverted plans and like staying in and like mm-hmm. doing more low-key things usually doesn't make my brain feel happy but um yeah I'm gonna try to listen to my body a little bit and I'm kind of excited that like I feel like more of an adult in kind of trying to do that so my happy pill is looking forward to kind of more of a low-key weekend after a really busy week filled with like social events and different work things um all good things but it's gonna be a busy week I'm looking forward to like a chill weekend 
the Christmas tree in on the corner and like my dog laying on top of me. And editing this podcast because I'll be out of town. So <laughs> that's on you this Well, weekend. that's totally fine. That sounds low-key. That sounds low-key. <laughs> Perfect. Homework. Homework. <laughs> For homework this week, we're going to have some straight people homework and some queer people homework. Since I am the only straight person in this room, I am going to handle the straight homework for the week. Uh, I think the straight homework for this week, your homework is to, I think, start like assessing your environment. We talk a lot about self-assessment with respect to mental health. And I think as a straight person, this is not your area of internal. uh, Well, I mean, I mean, you do need to reflect internally as well, but I think for purposes of this podcast, think about some of the things that Laura and Matt have talked about, some of the experiences that they've had in their workplace, and see if you can identify them in your own workplace and see if there are ways that you can start to help your workplace address them. And for people who maybe do not identify as heterosexual, um, also sort of do a self-assessment and think about some of the different topics we discuss. See if you feel like Those are common themes maybe in your workplace or in your experience and kind of see maybe how um, being queer or identifying as something that's not heterosexual affects your mental health, if at all. It might not and you might be totally out and proud and it maybe only positively affects your mental health. But if it doesn't, sort of like start to self-assess and check in with yourself and pay attention to the ways that your workplace or people you're interacting with maybe um heighten some negative mental health symptoms for you and start thinking about ways that you can sort of make your brain feel better about that matt do you want to assign any homework to the audience brush your teeth (laughs) (laughs) perfect 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 all right thanks for listening guys uh we'll be back next week with matt again happy holidays happy holidays ho 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 Hey, self-care partners, just a reminder to subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And if you don't mind, give us a follow on Instagram at Emotion for Mental Health and like us on Facebook. If you want to participate in our conversation, slide into our DMs or shoot us an email at emotionformentalhealth at gmail.com. Talk to you soon.